morning, everyone. Let's go over a couple of announcements. See the uh, situation with the offering box. Uh, we're getting used to that again. Andrea is our contact number. Days of praise, booklets, also acts of facts are along in the lobby. Uh, the baby bottles for the drive. Uh, I think that's over today. Is that correct, Sheila? Well, it is, but you can bring them in any time. It, it usually runs a little longer for people to get them in. So we got a couple of week grace period. Sure. So in other words, you won't refuse it. No, I won't. Okay. We won't. <laughs> okay. And uh, SGBA camp for 2021, uh, Camp Lael this year again. Uh, dates are July 11th through the 16th. Registration documents for the campers and volunteers are on the Facebook page. And our communion service will resume on July 11th. Uh, do we have any other announcements? Uh, updates on pastor maybe, does anybody have a, an update? Last I heard, he was taking walks on the sidewalk with one of the girls and uh, doing well with the food and the dinners. Quite alert. <laughs> I saw him Tuesday and he looked pretty good, but that was back Tuesday. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Well, let's get into our, our service. Uh, scripture for meditation is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Verse 1 through 
you stand with us together as we open our service to prayer? Doug, would you lead us to us? first song of the morning is taken from the hymnal, number 60. And I'd like to extend a thank you to Kelsey for volunteering to stand in for Jared as he's away. Amen. I, I don't know if she's just looking for an opportunity to play on the beautiful <laughs> piano, or she's heard my singing solo in the acapella and she's taking pity on the rest of the congregation. So, what's nonetheless, the what's the number? Bill? 60. 60. Morning has broken. <clears throat> and we're going to step right into the uh, scripture reading. 
taken from the book of Matthew, entire chapter, chapter 7. Page 1505 in the Pew Bible, if we please stand. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only if you find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good, bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesize in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles then I will tell them plainly I never knew you away from me you evil doers therefore everyone who bears wait pardon me therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on, a rock, on the rock. 
the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against his house, that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Ask that the Lord would bless his reading today. You take your hymnals once again and turn to page 338.
seated. We are happy to have with us today our brother Mark Loker and his wife. And we would like now to extend a welcome. And please, Mark, come on up. And pulpit is yours. to at least extend it a whole accommodation, I guess, to you. Just to see all of you here and see you faithful. Even though your pastor is ill, I know there's quite a few of you missing, but just to see you all here, that's encouraging, to see you faithful to Christ. We at Sovereign Grace are likewise praying for Pastor Fred, and I was hoping maybe one of the, whether Jess or Jolene, one of them be here today so I could get an update on it because they're going to ask me if I learned anything new. But uh, we are going to continue to pray for him, and uh, hopefully we hear some really good news that he's back home soon. Message I'm going to call to your attention this morning is really it's got a long title but it's something that <clears throat> the impetus, impetus for the message came from a book that John MacArthur wrote it's the book I don't know if you've ever read it or not but I would highly recommend it it would be a good book for a Bible study or a Sunday school it's an excellent book. I can honestly say that what was written in there, what John had to say, is still affecting my life. It still brings conviction. So the title of this message is, based on that, is the Bible's definition of a Christian and then the Christian's relationship scriptures, particularly the New Testament. And he observed the lives of those who were called Christians. You notice that that label, Christian, underscored not only their love for the one who had sacrificed himself, but also their willingness to follow him no matter the cost. That's something that really, for me, it brings conviction. Let me phrase that another way as I address it to myself. Am I living my life in such a way that it can be said of me that I am following Christ no matter the cost? That's something to keep in mind. But that was true of Christians. It is true of all Christians. So the call, so the call yourself a Christian is not simply just a title. It's much more than a title. It was an entirely new way of thinking. A way of thinking that actually alters your life. 
changes you. It has serious, serious implications on how you live your life, and it even has implications on how you die. It was an entirely new way of thinking, one that had very serious implications. Turn your Bibles, you would, to begin with, to Acts, the fifth chapter. When you get to the fifth, uh, fifth of chapter of Acts, what you notice is, is that where Ananias and Sapphira are disciplined by Christ. And then after that discipline, we see the Lord blessing the church tremendously. You read in verse 14 that multitudes of men and women had come to know Christ. And of course, that, that blessing upon the church made the Jews jealous. And so pick up But the high priest stood up along with his associates, all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and leading them out said, Go, stand and speak to the people in the temple. All the message or all the words of this. I want to call your attention to in verse 20. When it says, he says there, all the words of this life. What's being implied by that statement is that there was something markedly different about way, the way believers lived that was unique from the rest of the people that lived in Jerusalem at that time. Something drastically had happened. They weren't living like the rest of the Jews. There was, their life was so altered and changed that it was even recognizable just by watching the way they lived. They didn't dress any different per se, they probably dressed like everybody else in Jerusalem at that time. But their life was changed. It was recognizable. It even defined them. Again, if we look at the book of Acts in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, we read this. We read that Saul went and asked for, the, for letters to the synagogue at Damascus. So that he found any belonging, notice this, to the way, he'd bring them bound to Jerusalem. And again in Acts 24, Paul's making his defense before Felix after the Jews had stated their accusations against him. And Paul says this, But this I can to the way, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers. So it becomes pretty obvious that it one that altered, actually altered the way they lived. And as we know, without I don't have to tell you this, 
in her life was not of human origin. It was divine origin. God sovereignly intervened in the life of those people. He changed their way of thinking. He changed the way they lived. By giving them a new heart. As you and I. He granted them repentance to turn from their sin. He granted them faith to believe in Jesus as their Savior from their sin. And He gave them that new heart. After the Holy Spirit regenerated. And what we see in Scripture is is that those who were given this new heart began following Jesus. They became His disciples. And without me telling you, we all know that the word disciple simply a learner. They were learning Christ's way to live a life pleasing to God. They not only were listening to their instruction, and this, and which was passed down from the apostles to the church. Jesus taught his apostles, and the apostles taught the same thing to the church. You read the second book of Acts, that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. But it wasn't just the fact that they were memorizing the things of Christ and were able to call those things to mind and say, it was more than that. They practiced those things. So not only did they listen to what was said, but they put those things into practice. And it was that practice that gave them that change of life and altered their life. They were not the same people. That's what distinguished them from everybody else. Enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. You know, it's just a simple phrase, but do you realize that Christ is stating the will of God there? That's exactly God's intent for each and every one of us to look exactly like the Lord Jesus. Isn't what Paul tells us in the book of Romans? That we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ? He wants us to look exactly and act exactly like Him. Turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. I'm going to pick up again in verse 17 in, in Ephesians chapter 4. So I say this. to walk just as the Gentiles also walked in the futility of their minds, being darkened in their understanding, excluded excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that, that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. 
given themselves up to indecent behavior for the practice of every kind impurity with greediness. But listen to verse 20. But you did not learn. We learn Christ and we practice Christ. That's what makes us different. And the sum total of all that Paul's saying here is in verse 5, verse 1, or chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. That's the goal of every child of God. This is the disciple. disciples were first called Christians at Antioch in Acts chapter 11 verse 26. And why were they? Why were they called Christians? Weren't they? Because they acted so much like Christ, they were basically saying they're a little Christ. That's what it is to be a disciple. A deep affection for him. An allegiance to him. And submission to his word. And I'm not, I'm not questioning or raising doubt that any of us aren't obeying God's word. <clears throat> Excuse me. But how well are we obeying his word? How well are we really listening to what Christ has to say? Do we take liberty with it? Do we alter it? Just because it doesn't fit our present circumstances? How well do we really listen? Is to be a wholehearted follower of Jesus. You almost have to define words. Do you notice how words look? Say that we're a wholehearted follower. It involves every part of our, our Because it involves our affections, our will, our minds. And it actually motivates our body. Puts us in action. That's what we're to be, a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Turn with me again to Luke, the ninth chapter. carrying on this whole thought of following Christ and being his disciple. Verse 23, Luke 9, verse 23. Listen to what the Lord says. 
And he was saying to them all, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He starts by saying, if anyone would come after me. And then he says, ending that verse, they must follow me. But there's prerequisites in between. So Jesus is telling us that if we desire to follow him, then we must not only begin to say no to self, but we must also put self to death daily. Why? Why is that necessary? Why would Christ say that's necessary if you're going to follow me? Because self has to die. Self always wants to please self. Always. To, not, to deny oneself is to say no to our desires, our passions, our pursuits, and our ambitions that don't align with the will of Christ as he's revealed his will in his word. Every passion, every desire, every ambition, every plan if it does not align with God's revealed will, it is to be denied because it only satisfies the flesh. And then he says, follow me. After we meet those requirements, follow me. So if we begin following Christ, then whose will is active then? We've crucified self. Whose will is active? It's the Lord's will. And as our will aligns with Him, then our will comes into play too. But the Lord's will is what motivates us, what animates us to do everything we do. MacArthur also says this. When we call ourselves Christians, we proclaim to the world that everything about us, including our self-identity, is found in Jesus Christ. And it's not just that Christ is our Savior to save us from hell and save us from sin. He's also our Sovereign, our Lord. And I don't have time to get into that because he has a whole chapter on the Lordship of Christ in that book. And he brings out the point that the Lord is our Master. He's our owner. And being our Master and owner as his slaves that has particular implication on how we conduct ourselves. So he's our sovereign. 
and our lives are to center on pleasing Him. The best way to describe, uh, to use an analogy that might help us understand this is the bicycle wheel. The axle in the center is Christ. All the spokes and the outer rim, the outer rim is us, and all the spokes are our activities that are connected to Christ. You spin that wheel, all those activities are directed to Christ. Our whole life is to be centered on Christ. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ. What had happened in Paul's life? He crucified self. Self was dead. And by that confession, he was saying that his, he's being animated by Christ alone. He solely lived to please Christ. For me to live is Christ. In addition to God's people being designated Christian, the scripture also uses other metaphors to describe Christians. Such as aliens, strangers, citizens of heaven, lights to the world, heirs of God and Christ, members of his body, his sheep, ambassadors, friends, brothers, soldiers, newborn babes, branches in him as the vine. All of these metaphors help us to understand what it means to be a Christian. They show different facets on how we serve Christ and render our service to Christ. But they all help define what a Christian is. But there's one metaphor that the scripture uses to describe Christians more than any other that I've listed. And that's the metaphor or the word slave. That word slave is used in the very, the most abject meaning you can define. It means what it says. We are slaves to Christ and God. That metaphor is used in Scripture to describe Christians more than any others that I've listed. The people of the world used to call his disciples Christians. And the name stuck, by the way. But the people of the world called them Christians. But you know their earliest disciples? They referred to themselves as slaves of Christ and God. That's, how, that's the way they chose to, to depict themselves. As slaves of Christ and God. Even Paul does in his epistles. He introduces himself as a slave of God or a slave of Christ. And they also seen, that is, those early Christians also seen those ideas being synonymous. In other words, to be a disciple was to be a slave. To be a Christian was to be a slave. They, those three things were just synonymous together in their eyes. They weren't different things. They didn't have different meanings. The description used most often in the New Testament 
to describe the Christian's relationship to Jesus is the slave-master relationship. It's unfortunate in our translations that we have today, at least in the one I've got, I've got several, and almost every one of them say servant instead of slave. Why they do that, I hate for the life of me. I haven't talked to any of the translators. Why they do that, I don't know. But the word that's used in the Greek language is dumas. And it always means slave or bond slave. Always. Listen to what this theological dictionary has to say about that word doulos. The word doulos, it says, the meaning is so unequivocal and so contained that it is superfluous to give examples of individual terms or to trace the history of the word group. The emphasis here is always on serving as a slave. Always. Hence we have to serve. Did you get that? Hence we have to serve. Which is not a matter of choice for the one rendering it. Which he has to perform whether he likes it or not. Because he is subject as a slave to an alien will, to the will of his owner, his master. This is why I said it was so convicting for me, and it still convicts me. This is a lifestyle I don't see living by many Christians. Now it is true that there are some duties that are performed that are commonly performed by either a servant or a slave. But the difference between the two is a servant has some measure of self-autonomy and some personal rights. If they don't like the person they're working for as a servant, they can leave. They can resign. They can go somewhere else and work for somebody else. But that's not true of a slave. A slave has no rights, has no autonomy, has no freedom. He is the property of his owner. Doesn't the scripture tell us that we've been bought with a price? Not just any price, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. Isn't that true? Doesn't scripture also tell us that we belong to Christ? Doesn't it also tell us that we are a people for his own possession? And I recognize that when we tell or explain this to Christians who are unfamiliar with this truth, that they are really slaves of Christ, and you begin to describe to them and tell them what it is to be a slave of Christ, what does it ever make the flesh irritated? 
The flesh raises its ugly head, it grits its teeth, and it ends up rebelling or wishes to rebel. Maybe in my description this morning, you might have felt that in your own life. That can't be true. But it is true. You know, how quickly forget we forget as Christians that we had a master previous to Christ. Didn't we not? A cruel master. One who was leading us to a hell of fire that burns with sulfur. That was the end of following that master. We also forget from time to time what Jesus said, that where I am, there my slave will be also. It's not a bad thing to be a slave of Jesus Christ. Hasn't he told us in Revelations 21 and 22 that he is going to create a new heaven and a new earth? And then in that new earth, there's going to be a new city called the New Jerusalem. And doesn't he also tell us that's where we're going to find his throne? And his glory, his personal glory is what's going to light it? Where I am, there my slave will be also. Turn with me to Romans 6 chapter. Another very familiar passage. I want to begin reading in verse 16. Whoops, turned just a little bit too far. Listen to what Paul says. Don't you know that the one to whom you present yourself as, as, as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of that one whom you obey? Either to sin, resulting in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You see, that's what we see in the book of Acts that's taking place in their lives. In Acts chapter 2, where it says that they continued in the apostles' teaching. We are getting the same teaching today. That's what we're looking at today in God's Word. Verse 18. And after being freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Because just as you presented your part or the parts of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your body parts as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Because when you were slaves of sin, you were free in relation to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you deriving from those things of which you are now ashamed? Because the outcome of those things is death. 
Listen to verse 22. But now having been free from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. We need to make a choice, dear people, in our lives. I'm not saying that you're living in object or abject wickedness in your life. I'm not saying that you're not serving Christ. But to serve your lives, to actually say, it can say that I'm following Christ with all my heart. that I'm practicing this, what we're seeing here, being a slave of Christ. I don't know as any of us can say that. And I know I'm looking at the ideal. But the ideal is what we're supposed to strive for. We need to make our choice to whom we're going to serve. Are we going to give our allegiance to self? or anyone else, or to Christ. We can't serve two masters. It's not possible. You can't serve both. You can't receive a command from this one and a command from this one and serve the both of them. You can't do it. You can only serve one or the other. And Jesus cannot be added to your life. He is not an add-on. He's not an add-on like you would add an app to your smartphone. He's either your master or he's not. Paul told us in verse 16 of Romans that the one to whom you present yourselves as slaves for obedience, you are a slave of the same one whom you obey. I'm not going to judge you. I don't even know your lives that well. And I love you all. But I know my own life. Ask yourself how much time and effort is devoted, and energy, I could add to that, is devoted to self, serving self, pleasing self, taking care of self, as opposed to Christ. And if we try to add Christ to our lives, he'll reject you. He won't have anything to do with it. Turn to Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, look at verse 26.
Again, Jesus speaking, and he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus cannot be an add-on. He's telling us he has to have the preeminence. He either is your master or you don't have him. What he says there about the fact that you cannot be his disciple, he doesn't say you're just not a, as good of a disciple. He's very straightforward. You cannot be my disciple. So the Lord's informing us that if you, we don't give ourselves, or give him rather, the preeminence, even over our own life, we can't be his disciple. And we're all familiar with the passage we read this morning, Matthew 7, verse 22, where Jesus says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And the answer is, I never do you. You know the disturbing thing about that passage is? Jesus himself says, many will say to me on that day. That bothers me. That's frightening. We cannot just assume that we're okay. Our tendency is to look around at other brothers and sisters in Christ, or other believers, I should say, and we make an evaluation of ourselves. Well, I'm doing okay. But how do we appear in Christ's eyes? These are the people, I believe, that tried to add Jesus to the life. I never knew you. Never knew you. If we embrace this doctrine as taught in Scripture, that we are Christ's slaves and we practice it, I guarantee you it will change your life. Not only will it change your life as an individual, it will change the church. But it's the practice of it. We all know God's Word. And I, all, I believe that all of you read it regularly. We have open ears and practice it. We're to be just like the Lord Jesus. You are his slave. Let's close in prayer. Our gracious and holy Father, again, Father, Even my own heart within me is stirred at the magnitude of this truth and the implications it has for our lives, for my life. Oh, Father, I can only ask that you forgive me for my failures. And ask, Lord, that you would reveal to all of us this truth and enable us by your enabling grace to live it out for your glory. We know that's the reason we're here is for your glory, solely for your glory. So we ask our Father for that enabling grace.
we give you a thanks again for the Lord Jesus and for the redemption in his blood. Oh, Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit who dwells within us and his constant work at sanctifying us and his prodding, Father, to drive us back to your word. Thank you, Father, for keeping us. Thank you for your guidance and direction. I pray, O oh Father, that you would grant us to be hearers of your word this morning. And may it change our lives and affect us for all eternity. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
asked for out of the realm at this point. In closing, I'd like to tell all the men, Happy Father's Day. You weren't it. We are dismissed.